Nehemiah chapter 8. In Nehemiah, we, we looked at chapter 4. We've been on chapter 4, and we looked at the account of the children of Israel rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. And in that process of rebuilding that wall, we see that the Bible says that they rose up and they completed the work because the people had a mind. They had a mind to work. It says that they made their prayers to their God. And they had a mind to pray. It says they set a watch because the enemy was there threatening them at every turn trying to stop the work of God. So they set a watch. So they set their mind to watch. And it says that they would, every man, whether he was building the wall, regardless of what he was doing, every man had his sword girded to his side. And that there were even those who had a tool, an implement in one hand, and a sword in the other. They were that ready. They had set their mind to fight. To work, to pray, to watch, to fight. And the scripture goes on and tells us that in 52 days they completed the wall. They finished the wall. Now that the wall was finished, you had the temple rebuilt. You had the wall rebuilt and the people were living in the city. They hung the gates. And so there is a physical process of rebuilding that's taking place. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Here in Nehemiah, the scripture records for us a physical process of rebuilding, of building. This is, there, were, there was real building taking place. But what I want you to do, church, is see beyond the real building that was built Thousands of years ago. And I want you to see how what God has recorded for us speaks to our life. We just prayed for two families who experienced tragic loss. Every one of us here in some form, some fashion have experienced loss. We either have personally ourselves or we know somebody that has directly or indirectly. And even in situations like this, there's a process of rebuilding that has to take place. Lives have to be rebuilt. Loretta's brother, praise God, is out of the hospital. But he's got a life that's got to be rebuilt. He's got physical therapy that, that's got to take place and he's going to have to rebuild his life. I mean, in a real physical way, he's, he's got bone and muscle that's going to have to be rebuilt. When we experience loss, we've, we've got, there's real loss, just like in an in a, in a accident like that where you have someone that's, their body has been traumatically damaged and there's got to be a physical rebuilding. When we go through losses, the loss of a loved one, there is an emotional uh, 
trauma that takes place in, in our emotions have got to be rebuilt. You can't lose a child. You can't lose a husband, a spouse, and, and not have to go through that process of, of having those emotions and having those things rebuilt. And all through the Scripture, God gives us these pictures of how He builds and how He rebuilds and how He restores we can sit here and we can apply it to any and all of these situations. But I want to pull out and I want to look at a bigger picture here. Because it doesn't matter whether we're talking about physically recovering from a trauma, from an accident, or emotionally recovering from the trauma of losing a loved one. The way that we're going to experience a rebuilding, the way that we're going to experience a healthy building and a restoration to what God has designed, it's going to come because we put our hope and we put our faith in Him. We can look at a... We just went through one of the most divisive and horrible political campaigns. This nation, if you haven't noticed, is divided in so many ways. How is a nation going to be rebuilt and restored? The only way is through Jesus Christ. And until God's people, God's people, not the world, not R's or D's or L's or not political parties, not philosophers, not counselors, Only through Christ. So we come over here and they've rebuilt the wall. And go to Nehemiah chapter 8. Now before we begin in verse 1 of chapter 8, I want to draw your attention to the last half of verse 73, chapter 7. The verse above Nehemiah 8.1. The last part of that verse says, When the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in their cities. And then chapter 8, verse 1, begins like this. Now all the people gathered together as one man. Can you say that? One man. One man. All the people gathered together as one man. Man. That doesn't just mean they were all physically in one place together. That means they were not only there physically together, but they were unified. They were of one heart in one mind. How many hearts do you have inside your body, in your one body? You got one heart. How many minds do you have inside your one? You got one. One man. They had one heart. They had one mind. This is who the church is supposed to be. This is who the church is called to be. This is why tonight we're going to go to St. Mary's Catholic Church. And we're going to worship together as a community of believers. Because regardless... 
you were here on Wednesday night, Sherry Brooks said something I thought was, was awesome. She was listening to a Jason Upton podcast, and Jason Upton expressed this. He was talking to his son, I guess, and he said, you know, he said, I should be able to take my son anywhere in the world to a Christian church and not worry about what he's going to hear. I should be able to go into any Christian church anywhere and hear the truth. But he said that's not the case. And it's sad that that's not the case. What unites us is this word right here. This written word reveals to us the living word, Jesus Christ. What unites us is the spirit that lives on the inside of us. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, if you have been born again, now lives in you. And Jesus, who is the fullness, for it pleased the Father that in him the fullness shall dwell, Paul writes in Colossians, Jesus Christ, who is the fullness, the fullness of what? He's the fullness. Period. He's the fullness. The fullness of God's glory, the fullness of God's essence, the fullness of, of, of his power, the fullness. He is the fullness of God. Where does Jesus Christ dwell in now? He dwells in you. That means the fullness dwells in you. This is why we are called one man. Who called us one man? God did. Read Ephesians chapter 2. He has created in himself one new man. That's us. What makes us one? The spirit in us makes us one. We have one heart. We have one mind. We have one head. We have one Lord, one king, one savior, one faith, one hope, one baptism. Where is that in the Bible? Read Ephesians 4. One man. What are we today? We are one man today. Why? Not because of Jesus Christ. That's why. Not because we all think the same thoughts. Not because we all believe necessarily exactly the same in every way. There is something greater than that that brings us and makes us one. Jesus Christ. So they were gathered as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. So you have men, women, and children gathered as one man in the open square before the water gate here in a rebuilt Jerusalem at a rebuilt temple. And they bring the law, the book of Moses, out. So we know for sure they had at least the first five books of the Bible. They had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. 
if we, and we don't have time today, but if you were to study Nehemiah and you went on and you read the rest of Nehemiah chapter 9, Nehemiah chapter 9 is an amazing chapter because what you have in Nehemiah chapter 9 are the Levites who have come out and the Levites give an oral recitation of the works of God from creation all the way to where they were at that very moment standing in that open square. It's actually quite amazing. Which tells me they had the writings of the... They had, they had kings, they had chronicles, they had Samuel, they had the writings of the prophets, they had all of that because the Levites... The Levites give this oral recitation and they tell the story of God. They tell the history of God's people from the very moment of creation all the way to where they're standing now in this open square. So they bring the book. Look at verse 3. Now, before we get to verse 3, so what's it say? It says, they all were gathered, men, women, and children, on the first day of the seventh month. Now, when the Bible gives us specific dates and times, you should always pay attention to that. Because they're, whether we can figure out or not, I believe that God puts that in there because there's significance. And there is significance to this. The seventh month was the month in which three feasts took place. Three major feasts. Feast of Rosh Hashanah, which literally means the head of the year. We call it the Feast of Trumpets. Feast of Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. And the Feast of Tabernacles. All three of these feasts take place in the seventh month. Rosh Hashanah, or the head of the year, or what's commonly called the Jewish New Year... Feast of Trumpets, guess what day that was on? First day of the seventh month. So here they've all come back on the first day of the seventh month. Verse 3, then he, that's Ezra, then Ezra read from it. He read from the book in the open square that was in front of the water gate. Look at this. From morning until midday. Before the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Are your ears attentive today to the gospel? Are your ears attentive today to the word of God? Bigger question is, are your ears attentive every day? Not just today, because it's Sunday and we're sitting in this room having church. But are your ears attentive every day to what God has and is declaring? Did you catch that? From morning until midday, they stood. They stood. Now, I'm not going to make you all stand up. Okay. What if if from 10 o'clock until 12 o'clock, I said, you've got to stand. Do you know over a period of time, here's what would happen. We know those people at that church, they make you stand up the whole time. I ain't going to that church. 
I ain't going to that standing church. I'm going to go where I can sit down. Now, I'm not saying we should stand up. You know, some places when, you, when, when the scripture's read, they stand up. And this is why. Because when he began to read, all the people stood up. And as long as he read, guess what? They stood up. So he stood, stood on a platform above the people and began to read. Look at verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, he comes up, he walks up to the platform. He's on a wooden platform. He's got a podium there. We can call it a pulpit if you want to. He had a place where they brought the book, they set the book. Ezra walks up there. And when Ezra opens the book, everybody stands up. Now, it doesn't say Ezra told them to stand up. It just says they stood up. Now, these people have been in captivity for 70 years. We're going to see something amazing here in a little bit. That, that kind of gives us a clue about what, what's been going on with God's people for a long time. So they stand up. In verse 6, Ezra blessed the Lord. When you come, let me ask you this, when you come to church, when you, when you get up on Sunday morning, and your alarm goes off, and you are getting up and you're getting ready to come to church, do you ever have it in your mind that you're coming to church to bless the Lord? I think a lot of times we come to church because we want God to bless us. So I'm coming to church because I want to get blessed. Ooh, I'm going to get my blessing today. I want my blessing today. I'm coming to get my blessing today. But do we ever come with the attitude, I am coming to bless the Lord? Just a thought. The first thing Ezra does when he opens the book it says, Ezra blessed the Lord. Does God need our blessing? I mean, come on, God's got everything. God don't need our blessing. I need the blessing, God. You don't need the blessing. You own everything. You own all the cattle on a thousand hills and all the hills and everything, all the gold in California. You don't need the blessing, God. I need the blessing. No. See, that's, that's our mentality here in America. We've totally missed it, church. Ezra blessed the Lord. Have you ever just, I would really encourage you to do this. Just take some time and begin to bless God. I'm What an appropriate week to do it. It's Thanksgiving week in USA. I mean, I know, you know, for the world, Thanksgiving kind of has taken a back seat. Really, what everybody's excited about is Black Friday. People don't really care about Thanksgiving anymore. What they want is Black Friday. They just want to know how cheap the TV at Walmart's going to be. They want to know what the internet specials are going to be and, and how soon can I get in that store to get that special. Lord, have mercy on us. You know I'm telling you the truth. But take some time. Spend some time just blessing God. 
I mean, just spend some time and just begin to bless him. Just begin to, to lift your praise and your worship to him and bless his holy name. And let him begin to just bring to your remembrance all that he has provided for you. You know, it's so easy for us to see all the things that he hasn't provided for us. And we become blind to all the things that he has provided for us. We need to ask God to heal us of our blindness. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen. While lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Amen, Amen. They wouldn't even look up. As Ezra read from the book of the Lord, as Ezra blessed the Lord, the people were bowed before the Lord with their hands lifted up. You know what this sign is, don't you? You know, you can go to any place in the world, any culture in the world, and you know what this means? Some of you who aren't old enough, how many of you remember the first Gulf War in 1990? And when the U.S. troops rolled into Afghanistan and, and the Republican Guard, we're, oh, the Republican Guard is going to be horrible. They're going to they're just, it's going to be a bloodbath. And here, the U.S. Army rolls into Iraq, I mean. They roll into Iraq. And here is the picture I remember from the first Gulf War was the Iraqi Republican Guard running out of their bunkers like this. They weren't praising God. They were saying, I surrender, I surrender, don't shoot me. Quit dropping bombs on my head. We surrender, please take us away. Why did Israel lift their arms? And bow their heads as they worship God, as Ezra blessed the Lord. Whether you know it or not, it is the international sign of surrender. Whether you know it or not, it is the spiritual sign of surrender. Are you surrendered to Him? Are you surrendered to Him? Now, be careful before you answer that question. Because do you know what it means to be surrendered to him? Listen, when those Iraqi troops surrendered to those U.S. troops, they didn't get to say, hey, wait a minute, G.I. Joe. Let me, let me go over here and I got a few belongings I'd like to bring with me. I got a few things I, I want to bring. As No. They were lucky to keep the clothes they had on. That was about all they got to keep. And that was even taken away from them when they got them to a secure location. You know what surrender means? Surrender means surrender. It means I give up. You've got it all. What I have is not mine anymore. It's yours. I, I've just lost possession of everything. You do, do you understand? This is what Paul says. I have been bought 
with a price. I am not my own anymore. I belong to Jesus. So Ezra blesses the Lord. He reads, worships. People are bowed before God. And as Ezra is reading from the book of the law, and the people are there, the Levites go out, and it says in the last part of verse 7, they go out and they helped the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their place. Verse 8. So they read distinctly. This is an interesting word. So they read distinctly from the book of the law of God. And they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. Now I'm going somewhere with this. I want you to keep up with me. They read distinctly. That word distinctly means to separate. To specify. What comes to my mind immediately is, for instance, in the book of Isaiah where it says line upon line, precept upon precept. Or where Paul tells Timothy, rightly dividing. Rightly separating. This is what Paul is saying, the word of truth. This is not just enough to read the scripture. It's not just enough to find some place in the scripture and we're just going to give a good hoorah message here and get everyone fired up. Now, the question is, are we, are we separating, are we rightly dividing and separating the scripture? This is exactly what, what Nehemiah says. He gives us a picture of what was exactly going on here that day. As they stood from morning until noon in their places, and Nehemiah is reading from the book of the law, and the Levites are there with the people, and they are, they are reading distinctly. They are line upon line. They are rightly dividing and helping them understand what God is communicating in his word to them. <clears throat> and I think they did a pretty good job of it. Because it says in verse 9, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra, the priest and scribe and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord, your God. Do not mourn or weep. Well, what was, why, well, why were they saying that? They were having a worship. Weren't they just all jumping and dancing the hoopla and having a great time? No. You know why? Because, because Ezra is reading the word of God. And you know what the word of God is doing? It is dividing to the very depth of bone and marrow. And it is peeling back and exposing the very depths of their heart. And they begin to weep. Say, wow, what a bummer, man. I don't want to go to that church service. Everybody's crying. They're all sad. Why did they weep? And Ezra and Nehemiah, they're saying, no, 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 don't weep, don't weep. This is a holy day. No, no. But the people couldn't help it. Why? 
Look at the end of verse 9. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. This is the power of the gospel. It doesn't say Ezra got up there and he was a really charismatic speaker. And he very charismatically read the word of God and got all the people pumped up. And then he'd take them to heights of glory and then he'd bring them down. No. Ezra just got up there and he read. Listen to me, church. He read the word of the Lord. He did what Paul did. Paul said, I didn't come to you with eloquent speech. I didn't come to you with words of man's wisdom. In fact, I came to you in fear and in trembling, in weakness. I came to you declaring the word of the Lord. I knew nothing among you except Christ and Christ crucified. I didn't want you to put any trust in me, in my words, in my speech. I want you to put your trust in God, in the power of his word. Because we know that Paul writes to us in, the, in his letter to the Romans, and he says the gospel is the power of God to salvation. The gospel is the power of God. As Ezra read the word of God, the power of God was in his word. And it began to bring conviction to the hearts of the people. So much so that Ezra and Nehemiah and the Levites had to try to get control of the people. Say, no, 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 wait. This is a holy day. Don't weep. Verse 10. Then he said to them, go your way. Eat the fat. Drink the sweet. And send portions to those who have nothing. Because you know what would have happened had Ezra not told them that? Had he not commanded them to go their way and eat the sweet and eat the fat and send portions? They would have all gone in sackcloth and ashes and been mourning. And because of the brokenness that the word of God brought to them. Because what did the word of God do? The word of God revealed something about themselves. It revealed who God is, and it revealed who they were in light of him. It revealed what God required, and it revealed how far, how far they fell short of that. And they wept because of it. Where is the weeping today? I'm just asking you, man, where is the weeping in the church? Where is the church in America that is looking at the landscape of our nation and, and begins to weep because of the wickedness and the corruption of 4,000 babies aborted every day? Of men and women standing behind the pulpits in God's church calling what the Bible says is evil, calling it good. Where is the people of God weeping today because of what is transpiring in our nation? They were weeping because they realized what had transpired in their nation. Now, listen, some of these people had never lived in that land. Some of those people, I would venture to say many of those people were born in Babylon and grew up in Babylon. They were there for 70 years. Most of those people had never even seen the temple. Most of those people had never been to Jerusalem. Most of those people had no idea what this place was about. 
And they're all standing there as one man. And here Ezra gets up and he opens the book and he begins to read the word of God. From Genesis 1-1 in the beginning, God created. I mean, from there all the way up to where they were. And as Ezra is reading these people who have been born and raised in Babylon, who had never been to Jerusalem, never been to the temple, they are hearing the account of their nation and their history. And they are now beginning to understand who God is and what he has required. And it's all beginning to make sense to them. It's like, whoa, dude, we have really, we have messed up. And they begin to weep. And they begin to cry. But Ezra encourages them. He says, don't sorrow for joy, the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength. There is a time to mourn and to weep. But joy comes in the morning. The only, listen, we mourn, we weep. It's like in the Beatitudes that we studied on Wednesday night. Blessed are those who mourn. What Jesus is talking about is the same mourning that's taking place here. These people have just got a revelation of who they are. And they don't like what they see and they are mourning their sinfulness. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. And this is exactly what Nehemiah does. He says, look, I understand as we read the word of God, I understand you are getting a picture, a true picture of our condition. And it's not really very pretty. But listen, your mourning is not going to be your strength. It's the joy of the Lord that is your strength. Because listen, the very fact that you're weeping and mourning gives me hope. I believe Nehemiah was, was hopeful Because he saw how the people responded to the word of God. And they responded correctly. The word did what the word is supposed to do. It pricked their hearts. It it exposed their sinfulness. And they responded in repentance. And Nehemiah's like, yes! Don't, Don't mourn. Listen, go. Eat the fat. Eat the sweet. Go have a party. Go and celebrate. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And so they go. Verse 13. Look at verse 12. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and rejoice greatly. Not just rejoice somewhat, but to rejoice greatly. Why? Because they understood the words that were declared to them. So what this tells me and what Nehemiah is writing here, the people got it. They got it. They understood. When the law was read, when the word was read, man, it pricked their hearts and it moved them to repentance. And they wept because of their sinfulness. But they, they got the full picture here. They, they understood what was being communicated. Now let's take, a, let's take a pause right there. Hold your place and let's go over to Romans. Let's go to Romans chapter 3. Man, are y'all, are y'all hot? Am I the only one hot? It's a little warm in here. Maybe turn a fan on or something. I know I've got my $4 Salvation Army special on. I'll give you free, free advertisement for Salvation Army. 
four bucks. Now, go to Shepherd's Heart first, Code of Meaning Colors, and see if they got it there first, okay? Could be a dollar, that's right. Romans chapter 3. Verse 20, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Paul writes this, to the, by the law is the knowledge of sin. You know what happened when the law was read to God's people as they stood in that open court? They came into a knowledge of their sinfulness. And they began to mourn because of their sinfulness. They didn't justify their sinfulness. They say, well, you know, back in Moses' day, that was true. But we live in a different culture now. We live in a different time. You know, now we can't call that sin anymore. Back in Moses' day, I understood why they called that sin. But now today, we, we can't call that sin. They didn't do that. We do that. But they didn't do that. The word of God was read. And I'm telling you what, it broke their hearts. So... This is day two now, day two, okay? So they're there for two days hearing the word of God. They even came back the second day. Look at verse 14. I'm sorry, verse 13. Now on the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people with the priest and the Levites were gathered to Ezra the scribe in order to understand the words of the law. It's like, okay, Ezra, you need to explain this to us again. We're the leaders here. So we need to, we, you need to help us understand what God is telling us. So all the leaders get together to understand the word of God, the words of the law. Verse 14, and they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast, of the seventh month. Now they assembled on the first day of the seventh month. That's Rosh Hashanah. Head of the year. Some people believe that Feast of Trumpets. Rosh Hashanah commemorates the creation of the world. That that was the commemoration of when God said. Let there be. And there was. It's also believed because it's associated with trumpets. That it, it has to do with. Abraham taking his son Isaac up upon the mountain to sacrifice him, and God provided not a lamb. Remember, if you read that very closely in Genesis, they're going up, and Isaac says, Daddy, where is the lamb? As Isaac is carrying the wood that he's going to be burnt with. And Abraham says, Son, God will provide for himself a lamb. But when he get up there on the mountain, and Abraham binds Isaac to the altar, stacks the wood around him, pulls the knife out, gets ready to plunge it into his heart. And the angel says, stop, stop, stop. Don't do it. And he looks behind him, and in the bush there is a ram. Now, at my house, I should have brought it today. I didn't even think about bringing it. At my house, I've got a shofar. It's a it's a it's a Yemeni shofar and it's it's the twisted ram's horn. The blowing of the shofar, some people 
believe, is a commemoration because it was that horn that was cut off of that ram that became the shofar. You know, this is all interesting. What I'm saying is there's significance here. God has built in significance in everything that he has commanded for his children. You see the, the layers of type and shadow and, and, and how this begins to speak to us and paint a picture. You ever seen an artist paint? And there's layers of paint that an artist will use to bring out. Listen, this is what God has done throughout his word. He has put layer upon layer to paint to us the most vivid and beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. And that's what all of this speaks of and points to. So now they've come and they're reading and they're trying to understand the words of the law. And in verse 14, they find written in the law that the Lord had commanded that Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. This is called the feast of, guess what? Booths. But it's also better known as the feast of tabernacles. And so they announced, they proclaimed this to, to the people in all the cities and in Jerusalem. And they said, go to your mountain, go to the mountain, bring olive branches, branches of oil trees, myrtle branches, palm branches, branches of leafy trees, and make booths as it is written. And the people went out and brought them and made themselves booths, each one on the roof of his house or in their courtyards, or in the courts of the house of God. So everywhere, on the rooftops, in the front yard, their backyard, in the courtyards, anywhere, they built these booths made out of, they go out to the mountains, out to the forest, they cut the limbs, bring the leafy limbs back, and they build these booths. And they would, for seven days, live in these booths. And what they were supposed to do was leave just enough, Make it sparse enough so that when they lay there at night, they're able to see the stars through the roof of their booth. And the people went out and they, they, they did that. In verse 17, so the whole assembly of, of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and sat under the booths. Look at this. For since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, when was that? That was when they... That was 40 years after they came out of Egypt. And Joshua, not Moses, Joshua, Yeshua. You know Joshua and Jesus have the same name. We say Jesus, but if we were Hebrew, we would say Yeshua. Yeshua, not since the days that Yeshua, the son of Nun, until the day that the children of Israel had not, uh, until the day, until that day, the children of Israel had not done so. So from the time of Joshua until that day, they had not celebrated this feast. You know, that's a long time to disobey God. Do you know how many centuries they disobeyed God? It gives us a clue about what was going on here. And we see, we're not going to be able to do, to do this, but we see that they go on and so they keep this feast... Look at chapter 9. Go down a couple of verses. Now the Feast of Trumpets began on the 15th day. It lasted for seven days. Eight days. There's an eighth day. Now on the 24th day, 
were through the feast. They're assembled, they're fasting in sackcloth with dust on their heads. Those, then those of the Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners. Look at this in verse 2. And they stood and confessed their sins and their iniquities, the iniquities of their fathers. They understood. They came to understand what had happened. Why did we just spend 70 years in captivity? They figured it out. When the book of the law was read, revelation came to them. And they realized what had happened and they began to weep and they began to mourn. Now, let's go back to the book of Romans. Now, how did they come to that place? How did they conclude that? Well, it was the word of God that revealed that. Remember our scripture, Romans 3.20. Therefore, by the deeds of the flesh, no, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law, by the law is the knowledge of sin. The reading of the law, Ezra read the law, and he gave them the knowledge of sin. And they began to realize, our fathers have sinned. We spent, some of those people that were born in Babylon, grew up in Babylon, they realized that day, you know why we've just spent 70 years in Babylon? Because our fathers sinned. Since the days of Yeshua, the son of Nun, we've never celebrated this. And now today we are. Because our fathers, and they began to pray and they began to fast and they asked God to forgive them their sins and they also asked God to forgive the sins of their fathers. That's a lesson for us as a nation. It's a lesson for us as a church. We need to ask God to have mercy on us for our sins, but we also, we didn't, we didn't get here by ourselves. We didn't get here overnight. And we're not going to get out of this mess by ourselves. And we're not going to get out of this mess overnight. Provide the law is the knowledge of sin. Verse 21, Romans 3. Here's the good news. Here's why Nehemiah told them to go and to rejoice. I don't know how much Nehemiah understood about the coming Christ and the redemption that would come in Christ. But we do know what the word of God says. Look at this. Look at Romans 3, 21. Let me read you 20 and 21 together. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed... By the law and the prophets, who is the righteousness that is apart from the law now? That is Christ. Who witnessed of Christ? Who witnessed to Christ? The Bible says the law and the prophets did. This is why we read in Hebrews 11, all of these people that lived way back when saw Christ, had a revelation of Christ. How? By faith. Why? Because the word of God revealed Christ to them. The law and the prophets revealed it. God revealed it even before there was the law and the prophets. He revealed it to Abraham. He revealed it to Moses. He revealed it to David. He revealed it to Isaiah. He revealed it to Elijah and to Elijah. He revealed it to Samuel. He revealed it to all of his prophets. They wrote it down. They recorded it. The law and the prophets revealed to us the righteousness that is apart from the law. That is Christ. See, we don't have to keep the law today. But the law must be kept. We can't keep it physically. But it must be kept. Who is keeping it? Who's keeping the law today? There's one new man. 
Who is the only man that ever kept the law perfectly? Jesus. This is why Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. When does he stop fulfilling it? He doesn't. He eternally fulfills it. He is the fulfillment of it. He can't do anything but fulfill it because that is who he is. Now let's go to the end of Romans chapter 3. Verse 28, therefore we conclude that man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he God of the Jews only? Is he not also God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God. How many gods? One God. One God. How many ways are there? How do you know that? Is that in the Bible? Oprah says there's many ways. Huh? Jesus said, I am the way. The way. There's one God and there is one way. Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. That's us. Unless you're Jewish. If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. But it doesn't matter anymore. Why? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith. That's the Jews. That word by means the source of. The source of their justification is faith. God gave to the Jews the law, but he never gave them the law so that the law would be the source of their justification. They're not justified by the law. The source of their justification is their faith. And the uncircumcised through faith, different word. That word through there means a channel, just like it sounds, a channel. The Jews were justified. The source of their justification was faith, even though they were given the law and they were commanded to keep the law. The Gentiles weren't given the law of Moses, but they were justified the same way the Jews were. They were justified through Faith, there was an instrument, an intermediary. His name is Jesus Christ. Faith in Christ. Faith in the one who is the fulfillment of the law. Through faith in Christ, we are justified. Are you justified this morning? Where is your faith? Where is your hope? Where is your peace? Where is your comfort? He has made a way where there is no way. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Do you know what Hebrews 12 says? That Jesus endured the suffering and the shame of the cross for the joy that was set before him. He told his disciples in John 15, it's recorded in John 15, I say these things to you that your joy may be full and that my joy may remain in you. He endured the suffering and the shame of the cross for the joy that was set before him. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Do you realize how 
dependent you are upon Him today? Do you realize how desperately you need Him today? That apart from Him, you can do nothing. Apart from Him, you can never be justified. It doesn't, it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. That is true. It does matter whether you believe it as to whether it's going to benefit you. Are you hearing me? Let's all stand. I love the picture that the Scripture paints for us of the people of God standing as one man in that court, in that courtyard, and Ezra standing up there reading from the book of the law. And the people there bowed before the Lord, standing there weeping because of the words that they're hearing. And then Ezra encouraging them to not be sad because the joy of the Lord is their strength. Can you see how far-reaching that word of encouragement was? The joy of the Lord is not just their happiness, not just their joy at that moment, but, but what God had planned and purposed for them. It was His joy that kept Him on the cross. Do you, did you hear what the writer of Hebrews says? He suffered for you. He died for you. He endured while He endured for you. For the joy that was set before him. Because he looked past the suffering and the shame. And he saw the joy that would be a reality. He saw the redeemed. Father, I pray that. I pray, God, that you would break our hearts. Even as the hearts of the people were broken in Ezra's day. Lord, I don't pray that and ask that. <clears throat> That's not because we deserve to suffer or we deserve to be sad. <clears throat> Lord, I pray that we would come to see who we are without you. That, Lord, even though we have you, even though, Lord, we are redeemed, Lord, if we have been born again and we're bought by the blood of the Lamb, and, and, and we can say with confidence we are redeemed. Even in our redemption, God, there should be a realization of where we would, would be and what we would be without that. And in a sense, God, that should always cause us to mourn. But Lord, just as Nehemiah, just as Ezra was quick to remind the people, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Lord, we don't deserve your grace, but we are so thankful that you've poured out your grace for us. We don't deserve what you've provided for us, but we're so very thankful for all that you have provided. And we ask you, God, that you would move on our hearts by your spirit. That you would convict our hearts, even as... John writes in his gospel, Lord, that you would convict us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And that you would remind us what you've done for us and teach us, God, and call to our remembrance your word, your good news. God, we would never think that we could be justified by the deeds of the flesh, but God, we would rejoice in the fact that you alone have justified us. And it's our faith, our trust in you, God, that is our justification. And in that truth, God, I pray that we would be a people filled with joy. 
that would go out into this world and we would bring hope to the hopeless. We would bring good news to those, Father God, who just seem to only have bad news in their lives. That God, even in the midst of the trials and tribulations, the storms of life, God, we have a reason to have faith. We have a reason to hope because you command the storm. You command the wind. You command the waves. At any beck and moment, God, you can cause them to cease and to desist. You are the God of creation that we put our trust in. Help us, God, to see your holiness. And help us to rejoice, God, in the fact that you are our righteousness. We thank you. We praise you, God. We give you glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.